energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show back at it on a Tuesday right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes, then Jazz with George Thomas, our second of three shows for the week. we got a lot to get to. Bob Sosi, voice of the Patriots, is going to stop by in about 15 minutes. We're going to check in a little bit with Phil Mackey of Score North in Minneapolis to help get us ready for Patriots and Vikings from the mini, from the Minnesota side. Little UVM hoops tonight. Cats taking on Yale. Maybe some stuff on the Red Sox if we have time. An off-season update. Plenty to get to. Let's just dig right in. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at Sticks and Stuff. Com. Again, in the 6 o'clock hour, I'll kind of get into some keys tonight. A few for UVM as they take on Yale. That game being played in New Haven, Connecticut. But as I just want to start the show with this. Kind of on the macro level for UVM hoops. I was thinking a lot yesterday after the show about UVM's early season struggles. And I don't want to create excuses for them because at the end of the day, they they have just played poorly. But what we're watching right now through five games and what we may watch for the next couple more games, it should serve as a wake-up call to UVM's Athletics Administration. Catamount Athletic Administration shouldn't put UVM in a position to have to do this. Okay? I want to go back to the UVM schedule. This isn't right. This isn't fair to do to your student-athletes. And I wasn't mad about it initially because you see the big names and as a fan you get excited. And maybe if they were winning, I still wouldn't be mad. But you know what? They're not winning and I'm looking for reasons as to why. And there's plenty of basketball reasons why they're not playing well. But also, their administration has not put them in a good position. Now, I am upset by this. The schedule that UVM is being forced to play by its athletic administration is not right. Three home games in the first two months of the season. It's not right. Being on the road constantly is not right. It's not right from a basketball and rhythm standpoint. It's not beneficial from an academics standpoint to a to a student athlete. And it's not great for a quality of life standpoint. These are not professional athletes. Okay? These are not athletes that are used to to living out of a suitcase. And living out of a suitcase isn't real conducive to playing good basketball, and it's not really conducive to being 
you know, to, to benefiting academically. Listen to this. Vermont is going to play on an eight-game road trip. It's the fifth straight game away from Burlington. UVM has been on the road 11 of the last 13 days, and by the time they get back from the Bahamas, it will be 19 of 21 days. Since November 8th, Vermont will have been on the road 19 of 21 days. That is not right. That is not fair. And so there are plenty of reasons why this team, basketball-wise, is struggling. All the things we've talked about, rebounding, turnover, scoring depth, it's all true. But as we step back, some of that is created by the situation that UVM is in. And maybe I haven't done a good enough job at recognizing that, but I am now. And you should be recognizing it as well. And the athletic administration should be recognizing it also. Coach Becker told us here on this show about a month ago, or about two months ago today, back in September, he wants to see more home games. He'd like to see the administration step up and pay some people, pay some teams to come to UVM. And you know what? He's right. They should. The athletic administration should be heeding this wake-up call, and they should be watching what is happening on the court right now. Vermont needs to put together a good schedule. They are at this point in their program development that playing Patsy's does nothing for them, right? Playing the NVU Lindens of the world and Maine Fort Kent and the lower level, the dregs of D1, that does absolutely nothing for them. They need to play a good schedule. They need to play a difficult schedule. We all recognize that. They need to play impressive teams where wins can impress a tournament committee in March, but they shouldn't have to go all over Christ's creation for two months to make it happen. It should be a reality. It should be a necessity that UVM and the Athletics Administration get some of these caliber teams to come to Patrick Jim. Get them here so the fans can see this team. I mean, if you're a fan, how detached are you from this program right now that you won't have seen your team for three weeks by the time they play their next home game, and their next home game is a garbage throwaway game against NBU Linden. Okay, so get get some home games for your fans. Get some home games for your players so they can develop some roots and some rhythm, etc. It is not fair to play out of a suitcase for the entire first month of the season, right? And I do believe now that I'm looking critically at it again, some of the team's early season struggles are related to that, are related to playing out of a suitcase, 100%. Okay, why can't this team shoot from deep, right? They're 218th in the nation entering yesterday in three-point shooting percentage. Why? Well, maybe... Because they're never playing and never practicing in their own gym. right? The gym that they play games in, on the road here, they're seeing for a a very small amount of time before they play. Why can't they get in a rhythm offensively? Well, maybe it's because when you spend as much time on the road as they do, you're getting very limited practice time. Okay, UVM right now could benefit from practice. And you're not getting as much practice, I know you're not, when you're on the road as much as they are. Because some of your days are full 
travel days and you're not in the gym and you're not getting practice time that you so valuable val- valuable need uh, that that is so valuable when you are at home that stuff is not an issue when you're at home even a little bit that stuff isn't an issue but when you're on the road for 19 of 21 days lack of practice time is an issue you go on the road after the brown game Play three games against California teams, 3,000 miles. I get that. Okay, I do. I actually like that they went to St. Mary's, Fullerton, and USC, right? Good tests against tournament teams. I endorse that trip to California. But then after that, you're on the road for another three weeks. It is insane. Look at what this program is dealing with right now just to try to play good and meaningful games. They played... Tuesday night, last Tuesday night, a week ago, at USC. Then, I'm sure they traveled back on Wednesday. Then, that's a 3,000-mile trip. That's a full, that is a full day of travel. Then you readjust the body clock and get reused to a new time zone. And then what? You're playing Friday in Iona at Connecticut. So now, what are we talking about? You get back on Wednesday. Wednesday, you're out of commission entirely. Thursday... You, what, you bust down to Connecticut and get a, a small shoot-around before you play? Or you get a shoot-around in your own gym and you travel the day of the game? Like, I don't know how they did it, but however you do it, it's not real conducive to playing good basketball, and it showed on Friday when they got their doors blown off by the Gales. Now, you're in Connecticut. That's great after Friday. Maybe you practice Saturday, Sunday. You travel to Yale. Now you got a couple practices in. I hope UVM plays better today with some practice time. But after today, you're going to go to the Bahamas and they're going to you're going to play on Friday. Right? You're going to play in Yale today. You're going to leave for the Bahamas tomorrow. Tomorrow's a full travel day down there. You're going to practice a little bit Thursday, day before a game, walk through, shoot around, and then three games in three days potentially. You're not practicing a ton when you got three games in three days. This is not conducive to playing great basketball. And again, I don't want to make excuses for the program. And I don't want to just bash the administration either. But the administration needs to take stock of what's happening. This program is still looking to ascend. And if they want it to ascend like they should, if they care like they should, they should make it a little easier on them. Hey, look, you're a, you're a low major team. If you want to play a great schedule, you are going to have to go out and do it. We all get that. We all get that UVM is going to have to go on the road more than their home in the non-conference. We all get that they're going to have to go out and punch above their weight class. No one's saying they shouldn't have to do that. But they should be able to get some home games, some consistency, and some time at home. They shouldn't have to go and chase everything and then have it clearly come back and backfire on them. UVM trying its best to play a meaningful schedule that will help them for the tournament and help them for their regular season, and right now it's backfiring on them. They're 1-4. They may be 1-5 after today because this is a very good Yale team. And this team's going to be on the road for 19 days out of 21. This is not... Okay, this is not a Major League Baseball team that's used to being on a 10-day road trip. I mean, and this is this is this is worse than what they go through. 
It shouldn't have to be this way. It shouldn't have to be this way. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Tom says, about time we're talking about this. Thank you, Brady. Even the best teams in America don't travel like this. Well, look, the best teams in America don't travel like this because they don't have to. All right, and that's a reality. Duke doesn't need to leave Durham like that, right? People will, Duke won, they will pay teams to come get blasted by them. Right, Duke will play will pay teams to come get blasted by them, and teams will do it because they need the money. So everybody wants to go to Cameron, everybody wants to play Duke, and programs need the money. That's great. So teams will sign up for that. UVM got paid in some of those games out in California, right? Like they got paid by USC, and I think they're going to get paid by Miami when they play them at the end of the year. So the, the the low major teams will line up to be slaughtered if they get a paycheck. That that is a reality. The big dogs don't have to do that because everybody comes to them and their athletic departments will will pay for the, the patsies to come here. UVM can't do that. They can't pay everybody. I get it. They need to go on the road. I expect that they're going to be on the road a lot in the non-conference, but it shouldn't be this consecutive. It shouldn't be this hard. And I get it. There are some years where there's a cycle, right? Like I believe next year, or I'm sorry, UVM is at Yale this year, and I believe at Dartmouth. Next year, those games will be home. So there'll there'll be more home games by default next year. Right now, some of this is a one-year problem. But having to go 3,000 miles and having to go play a neutral site game against Iona and now going down to the Bahamas and doing it all consecutively, that is too much. And I hope the athletic department recognizes that. Hey, we're not winning. Our guys are exhausted. They're not in class. Like, where where exactly is this good from? If you want to be callous and say, like, hey, all we care about is sports, well, if they were winning, then you could use that defense. But they're not winning. This schedule is too tough. John Becker told us, I don't love this. I wish we didn't have to do it. I wish our I wish we could get some buy games. I'm asking for one or two buy games. I'm not asking for seven. I'm asking that they don't have to be on the road for 19 of 21 games. Could UVM have paid Iona to come to Patrick Gym so that they didn't have to travel all the way to Connecticut just to play them, right? And they could have been home for a couple of games or for a a couple of days, rather, and gotten some practice time and gotten a rhythm. Could UVM have said, you know what? We're not going to go to California, can we get another home game here against a good mid-major team? And then can we go on the road to UMass and Rhode Island instead? Right? Can we play a little more regional? But because you can't get anybody to come here or you're not willing to pay anybody to come here, you have to go out and sing for your supper the entirety of the non-conference. It just shouldn't be that way. Mark in Essex says, I gave up my UVM season tickets because of the lack of quality opponents at home. And that's fair. And again, that is, I don't know how you're going to get around that, Mark, frankly. I really I really mean that. UVM is a really good program, right? A really good low major. Teams don't want to play UVM, period. Right? That Coach Becker has said, teams don't want to play us. They don't want to play us because they don't want to lose to us. That's true, right? They don't want to have a what would be deemed a bad loss on their resume. So teams will shy away from UVM. 
they certainly don't want to play them here. Like, look, if we don't want to take you on at our place, why the hell are we going to take you on at your place? So it is hard. I, I am with Coach Becker. It is hard to get games. That's why I'm not asking for UVM Athletics to pay for 10 home games for them. But can you get one or two? Hey, we will pay to get Iona to come here. We will pay to get Quinnipiac to come here or Siena to come here or, you know, better than that even. We'll play to get it, pay to get a team out of the MAC here. Like Toledo's coming here. Can we get Kent State to come here? Can we get Buffalo to come here? We'll pay you to come here. Can we pay? Can we get UMass to come here? Can we do a two a two for one with UMass? Where hey, we'll go you your way twice. You come here once, but it shouldn't be that UVM has to be out of their rhythm for 19 days out of 21. And I hope that people are recognizing that. I hope that the athletic department is recognizing that. It's the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Catamounts in Yale tonight. This is gonna be a tough game, man. Starts at 7. Yale's always good, right? They're a perennial tournament-caliber team. It'll be the fourth tournament team from last year that UVM sees here within the first seven games of the season. Um, just a good all-around opponent. And they're 5-0 and to start this season. They got a great score. I think UVM will have a chance. More practice time under their belt. Yale, not a great rebounding team. So there are things UVM can do. We'll talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour, things that I want to see. But tonight is going to be tough. Tonight is going to be tough. That is for sure. You know what else is going to be tough is Thursday night. Thanksgiving night in Minneapolis. The New England Patriots are taking on the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings are 8-2. and two. The Patriots are 6-4. and four. Both these teams are in playoff contention. They're currently in playoff positions. You're going to have that game right here on DEV on Thanksgiving night, beginning with our coverage at 5.30. The kickoff is just after Rayton calling in now is the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi. The old names are gone. Brady takes the snap, back pedals, fires left, catch made by White, turns to the inside, dives across the goal line. Touchdown, Patriots! But there's new hope in Foxborough. Stevenson with a great run to the outside. For the latest on the Patriots, we talk to the voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi, on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, voice of the Patriots, Bob Sosi on the phone line with us now here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Bob, thank you for joining us as always. I know we don't have you for as long today because... Uh, it's pretty uh, hectic for you trying to get ready to get out to Minneapolis. So uh, thanks. We'll get right to it. Thanks for being with us, Bob. How are you? I'm good, Brady. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. Obviously, it is a short week. Of course, it settled in uh, that reality on Sunday night after the Patriots win over the Jets when Devin McCourty said, it's Wednesday. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, it's Sunday. But then, yeah, it is Wednesday in, in uh uh, you know, relative terms for the Pats and those of us heading to Minneapolis. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you as well. Always appreciate your time and how uh, gracious you are with it. Uh, I won't keep you too long today because I know you're busy getting ready to go to Minneapolis. I was asked by a listener yesterday where Sunday's game ranked for me in terms of improbable Patriots finishes. And I've only been here six years. So for me, I ranked it third. Super Bowl comeback win against the Falcons. 
and the Miami Miracle loss in that December game down on South Beach, and then Sunday's game. Does third feel fair to you, or is there one I'm missing? I'd say it's probably right in that ballpark. I think for me, I would go back maybe to my first season early on, the Tom Brady to Kenbrell Tompkins pass mm. against the Saints, the way the last couple of minutes unfolded there, because they got a last chance to come back and win it, and they squandered it. And then they got another last chance to come back and win that game, and they squandered that. And then they did come back with their third final chance to win that game. Uh, the Saints continually gave the ball back to the Patriots in the final couple of minutes. And Tom Brady led the Pats downfield with no timeouts with Michael Ho'omanawanui, Ken Brell Tompkins, and Austin Collie among uh, his receivers. Another would be Aaron Dobson. So pretty improbable cast and uh, almost impossible circumstances. Well, a great one then and a great one on Sunday, or at least a great ending. And I got to say this. I thought Mac Jones played well. You know, we've, we, I have done a lot of belly aching about Mac's play over the last several weeks and how the offenses look. I don't think Mac was the problem on Sunday. 23 of 27, I thought he was efficient. I thought he was decisive. He got the ball out quickly. I thought he was accurate. I thought Mac played well. Did you see it the same way? Yeah, Brady, I did. And I feel it's, it's really a, a commentary on where they are offensively in that they failed to score an offensive touchdown. They were held to three points until a punt return in the final half minute, and it marked improvement oh. in some respects. The offensive line, right from the very first snap, problematic against a good defensive front for the Jets. Six more sacks, more negative plays. You lost yardage on handoffs, including on a fourth down try. Lost yardage because of penalties too many obstacles to overcome when they got positive plays. And I think about a sequence where Damian Harris had a long run and then a, a chunk catch for 10 plus yards. And then the Patriots within field goal range, even in the windy conditions, it seemed go backwards. And that was a, a recurring you know, occurrence. <laughs> Sorry for the redundancy. <laughs> that was a recurring theme uh, of the last few weeks for me offensively, just too, too many negative plays. They had 24 negative plays in the previous two games. They added another 10-plus more in this game versus the Jets. You know, the offensive line you mentioned, I think a lot of the issue on Sunday does fall squarely on their shoulders. And, you know, the red zone problems have been a persistent theme for this team. I believe now 31st in the NFL in red zone touchdown percentage. But, you know, really they didn't have a chance on Sunday. I think both times Nick Folk missed field goals that followed a similar script, sack or holding penalty. And this team's not built to play from second and 20, Bob. There are many teams who are. And, and frankly, you know, for any team to be behind schedule, as they say, in the NFL against a good defense, especially. And the Jets have a good defense. You know, their front seven we knew was terrific. I think they're secondary with the rookie Gardner and then Reed, who they've added this year, Whitehead and Joyner. That's, that's about as good a secondary as the Patriots will play, I think, at least as good as they have played to this point. So that's a really good defense. And you can't afford to be in second and 13, in third and long, in second and 20, first and 20, against a mediocre defense, let alone a team as good as the Jets. Particularly, again, Brady, in those conditions for the place kicker folk, he missed two going toward the north end, the end zone that's under construction. He had problems in, in, in the pregame warm-ups. It was evident it was going to be problematic. We even commented on it right before the game started, and we saw it come to fruition. So the Patriots had to be a lot better in all those, and I don't want to say intangible areas, 
but all those areas that we think of sometimes as you know the the nuances the the subtleties of play they were significant on sunday against the jets and, and they were just too 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 often far behind schedule bob sosi voice of the patriots with us here in the Brady farkas show on wdev am and fm and wdevradio.com because i've only got you for a couple of minutes let me flip gears to the vikings you have seen a lot of football and you've covered a lot of football and you know team's psyche the vikings get beat 40 to 3 on sunday by dallas are the Patriots catching them at a good time where they're vulnerable? Or are they catching them now at a time where they have a heightened sense of awareness and they come out much better on Thursday night? How does this go? I, I don't think it's really the timing of the game in that respect that's a, a big factor. I think it's the reality that the Patriots have a short week and they're the road team. And the home team typically on a Thursday night has an advantage. And in the Patriots' case, you know, they're coming off a physical game against the Jets. And now they're going to have to play physically against the Vikings. Now, the thing for me, when you look at the two teams as they match up, Minnesota's 8-2. and two, But I think in a lot of ways, it's a matchup that could favor the Patriots because the Vikings' defense has been the worst in the red zone. So something's mm. going to get. you got the 31st red zone offense against the 32nd red zone defense. Uh, somebody's going to change you know, their trend by the end of Sunday night, I think. Maybe they won't get into the red zone. But beyond that, uh, Brady, the, the Vikings ha- have a, a negative two-point differential. So they're eight and two, and yet they've been outscored by opponents. And I know the Cowboys routed them on Sunday. But the Vikings have had to uh, play uh, games down to the wire repeatedly, and they've won a lot of close games. They've had a team that's had a scripted start and very productive under Kevin O'Connell, their head coach, the former Patriot quarterback. And then they've scored in the first drive six times. And that's an area the Patriots have to be vastly improved on offensively. They've gone three and out in their last four games on their opening drive. And they haven't scored a first quarter touchdown in this game. I think if the Pats can get on the board early in this game and they can get to the pre- apply pressure. And this is why I think it's a good matchup for the Patriots more than anything else. You got, a, you got an offensive line that's beat up. Left tackle, Derrissaw, is down with a concussion for Minnesota. Uh, Kirk Cousins was under uh, a barrage of pressure from the Cowboys, besieged on Sunday in that game. Dallas ranks number one in the league in sacks. Who's number two? The Patriots. And you've got another offensive lineman, Ezra Cleveland, you know, who was banged up in that game as well versus Dallas. And Cousins is a guy that, although primarily his issues have been on Monday night, nonetheless, it's been well documented. He, he has struggled in primetime games, and I think the Patriots can certainly get pressure on him. And I, that's why I think this matchup, strangely enough, with an 8-2 and two team taking on a 6-4 and four team with a struggling offense, uh, could potentially favor the Patriots. The biggest concern for me, though, is going to Minneapolis and, again, playing on a short week as the road team. Bob, you're about to travel to Minneapolis as well. We wish you safe travels. We wish you a happy Thanksgiving. I was thinking of you the other day. I walked into an establishment right next door to our station, and there was a giant pile of Bigelow tea, which I know is what you have uh, before before every game. So I was thinking of you the other day. But have a great holiday. We'll talk again in seven days as we get ready for another game against Buffalo next Thursday. It uh, sounds like heaven to me, uh, Brady. Before, after, during every game. So, listen, have a great holiday again. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Thank you very much. Bob Sosi, always gracious with his time and appreciate him as he's uh, getting ready to leave for Minneapolis. And uh, a couple of really interesting things here. Bob is right. This is a matchup that record-wise tells you the Patriots should lose. But inside the numbers, 
it is possible the Patriots have some things to their advantage, right? The Vikings banged up on the offensive line. The Patriots' ability to get pressure on the quarterback and take advantage of that banged-up offensive line. The Vikings' red zone defense. If the Patriots can move the ball again and get down there, I mean, this is the chance the Patriots would have to, to, to have some success in the red zone. The Vikings have beaten a bunch of backup quarterbacks. Maybe they're not as good as their record says. I don't know how much I trust Kirk Cousins in big games. So there are things you can point to for optimism if you're a Patriots fan, but Bob is right. Short week, changing time zones, traveling halfway across the country. It's not easy. It is a tough go of it for the Pats, but I do feel like the Pats will certainly have a chance to be in this game and potentially win it. There was something very interesting that Bob said right off the top of our interview that is almost exactly in line with a tweet that I got earlier today, so I want to get to that when we start the uh, the 6 o'clock hour, and we will have more on this matchup in the 6 o'clock hour when we check in with Phil Mackey, my guy over at Score North in Minneapolis. We'll talk a little bit about the Vikings. I spoke to Phil earlier. You'll hear kind of the best of Phil getting ready for this matchup. So Bob said something interesting, and I got a tweet saying almost the exact same thing. We're going to get into that, and I'll tell you about the one bit of Thanksgiving weekend plans that I have that I'm very, very excited about. That comes after CBS News next here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Reminder that uh, we go up until 7 o'clock, and it's Jazz with George Thomas. You can also get all of our exclusive interviews and our full show podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. You can also get it at WDEVradio.com. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Patriots, something Bob Sosi just said that kind of piqued my interest. We'll do that in a minute. But I want to tell you about uh, a, a little plan that I've made over Thanksgiving weekend. And I don't know if it constitutes a big plan, but it's something that I'm very excited about. I am going to be playing pickup basketball over the holiday at the Kevin Herter basketball facility. It's called the Impact Training Facility or something like that, but I'm going to be playing pickup basketball there. So I don't know. This is something I've never done when I've gone home for Thanksgiving. So I'm going to spend a couple days of Thanksgiving in Albany, you know, where I'm from, where Jess is from as well. So we're both going home, see our families, et cetera. So we're going to Albany. And I'm going to play basketball at the facility opened up by Sacramento Kings guard Kevin Herter. So Kevin Herter, who is a young NBA player, a couple years in the league with Atlanta for a while, and then now with Sacramento, who's, by the way, awesome, 17 points a game this year for Herter. So he grew up in my hometown. He played basketball at the same high school that I played basketball at. He is the same uh, – he's a little younger than my brother, but they played together for three years on the high school team, right? So they were teammates for three years. So he knows him very well. And, look, I had Kevin on a bunch of times in radio when I was first starting out and when he was first starting out coming up, et cetera. So anyways, he signed a lucrative contract before last season with the Atlanta Hawks, right? I think four years, $94 million or something like that, $96 million. So he decided to open up a multi-purpose facility in our hometown. 
basketball, volleyball, golf simulator, weight room, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, they do soccer there, indoor turf, soccer field. Kind of picture the local, you know, your local edge or the Y, but much, much bigger even. So I have never seen this facility because it opened up, you know, a year or so ago. I've never been inside it. I've driven by it, but I've never been inside it. Well, they do early morning pickup games there. So coming up, I think, next Sunday, Sunday after Thanksgiving, I'm going to go in there and play. And I'm very, very excited about it. I'm excited for him that he's giving back and that he's got this great facility, and that's awesome and good philanthropy, et cetera. But this place is getting great reviews. It's in my hometown, and uh, I'm very, very excited. So that I, I don't know what any of you are doing for Thanksgiving. I'm sure someone's got a better story of something they're doing or somewhere that they're going or spending it in this place or that place or taking this long trip or that long trip. But for me, I'm very excited to go play pickup basketball at the facility opened up in my hometown by NBA guard Kevin Herter. And by the way, I talk about Herter playing well. Kevin Durant put out a video today talking about how good Herter's playing. So this is a dude that if you don't know who he is, you should know who he is, and uh, he's even got some family in Vermont also. So I'm excited to go play there uh, on Sunday. But on the other hand, I got to say this. It's kind of sad, isn't it? Like, it's kind of sad that that's what I'm looking forward to over Thanksgiving. Like, playing pickup basketball is the thing I'm looking forward to most outside of seeing family, right? Like, of course... I'm excited to see my family, and of course I'm excited to see Jess and see Jess's family, etc. But damn, going home to your hometown for Thanksgiving at 33 is a lot different than going home for Thanksgiving in your hometown at 23, isn't it? I mean, it's crazy to me. And I get a little bit sad about this every single year. Right? I'm excited to go home. I'm excited to see my family. I'm excited to, to see Jess and her family. Of course that's true. I'm excited to go play basketball at this new facility. We're going to check out a new restaurant that opened up in my hometown. So I am excited to go home. Don't get me wrong. But it's every year it gets I just get a little bit sad because like back in the day, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, Thanksgiving used to be the absolute best socially. Right? Like, you all know this, right? When you're 23, when you're 25, when you're 21, Thanksgiving is like the best holiday. All your friends from high school come back. You hit up the bars. In my case, we'd go out in Saratoga. There'd be a Thanksgiving football game. We'd hang out in somebody's basement watching games and and shooting the blank and playing beer pong and all that. Like, Thanksgiving, the weekend of, is a huge event when you're young. And it makes me sad that it is no longer that. I don't know if anybody else feels that way. But when I was 21, everybody would come home from college, right? You're coming home from college. Everybody just descends on your hometown. You're there. You're hanging out. You're playing games. You got the football game going. It's awesome. Then, you know, the weekend comes and you're, you're doing more stuff before everybody goes back. When you're 23, 25, most people still live in the town. They haven't moved away yet. And it's just, it's a huge event when everybody gets back. It's not that way anymore. And every year, it makes me a little more sad. I got plenty of things I'm looking forward to at home. But I get a little bit nostalgic and a little bit sad every year. And I don't know if anybody else feels that way. You know, like, the friend group 
When you're 33, the friend group is different than when you're 23, right? It's a smaller circle of friends. And then in that circle, this guy's got kids and he can't come out. That's understandable. And this guy moved away and that guy moved away. And now the, the group of 20 that you used to chill with when you were 22, now it's down to like six. And of those six, you'll be lucky to get one other guy who's available. And that just, it makes me sad because it's like nothing else happens socially. I'm going to see Jess, her family. I'm going to see my family. And like, that is my social plans for four days that I'm home or whatever. Part of the fun of going home. Look, I, I don't know how many of you, look, there are probably a lot of our listeners who are listening to me from the same town they grew up in and don't know exactly what I'm saying here. But when you are someone that has moved away, and I've been gone now for six years, part of the fun of going home is reconnecting with the past. Like part of the fun of going home is reconnecting with the past. But now every year that I go home, every time that I go home, the past is a little bit more distant and it's a little bit tougher to reconnect with. And every year that gets me a little bit down. Again, if you feel that way, just let me know. 802-585-3026. Maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. Maybe I'm not. But for me, I'm like, when I was 22, when I was 23, when I worked at Norwich when I was 22, I couldn't wait to come home with Thanksgiving. I'm like, okay, everybody's there. Dudes I went to high school with, the girls I was friends with that I went to high school with, some of them went to college with me. It was a blast. And it was like a three or four day, just great way to reconnect. It doesn't happen anymore. Those days those days are done. And, you know, I, I think we all in some way kind of long for what it was like when we were 21, 22. I get it. Time to grow up. I understand. But just makes me a little bit sad. Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, I want to discuss the Patriots here momentarily because Bob Sosi said something that was very interesting to me. And then I got a text from a guy in Maine who said something very similar to what Bob Sosi said. So earlier today, I got a message from Chris in Maine who basically said, I'm paraphrasing, how the mighty have fallen, Brady, a Patriots team that scored just 10 points with no offensive touchdowns, that performance is seen as a work in pro- as a as a sign of progress. How the mighty have fallen. And Bob said basically the same thing that Sunday's game was viewed as a as a sign of progress. And let me say this. Cuz I think there's two distinct ways to look at it. The first one is the how the mighty have fallen part. And I think that I agree with that. The Patriots scored 10 points. They scored no offensive touchdowns. They beat a divisional opponent that they've beaten 13 times in a row previously. That shouldn't constitute us being greatly happy about. That should be an expectation. So how the mighty have fallen, that we're now excited about that stuff? Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's a fair statement. The New England Patriots dominate the Jets. I shouldn't be thrilled that they beat them 10 to 3 on the one, you know, on their last time they touched the ball for the game. The Patriots used to be a given for the AFC title game. And under Tom Brady, their offense was virtually a lock to get 24, 27, 30 points every single game. It was taken for granted how competent they would be offensively. Now, that is very much not the case. With Cam Newton in 2020, the Patriots were 27th in scoring offense. Last year, they were 7th. This year, they are 20th. 
So in two of the last three seasons, the Patriots have been a bottom third of the league offense. It is no longer a guarantee that the Pats play well offensively. And that is set. How the mighty have fallen is right. Getting to 20 points is a chore. Getting to 25 points is a hope. It's a wish and a prayer that they can get to 30. And so to say the how the mighty have fallen, it's not hyperbole. It used to be our birthright to get to the AFC title game. It used to be our birthright to just waltz up and down the field, but not anymore. So yeah, it is kind of sad to acknowledge that that offensive output on Sunday constitutes progress. The other way of looking at this is is just on the Mac Jones front. And I don't think it's embarrassing to talk about progress on the Mac Jones front. I do believe that Sunday constituted progress for him. Again, maybe how the mighty have fallen for the offense as a whole. But for Mac Jones, that's not the case. Sunday was a good day for him. Still don't think he's a long-term answer. Still don't think he's a guy I want to pay $40 million a year to. But Sunday was progress for him. He played on time. He played in rhythm. He hit his receivers in stride. He knew when to move out of the pocket. He knew when to stay out of the pocket. He knew when to stay in the pocket. He knew when to abort a play. He was quick. He was decisive. You can do a lot worse in terms of quarterback play than what we saw for Mac on Sunday. Heck, we saw it on the other side in Zach Wilson. And for a young player who's been beaten down for a couple of weeks, I thought Sunday was a real big step, right? For a couple of weeks, Mac Jones looked broken. For a couple of weeks, Mac Jones looked beaten down. On Sunday, he didn't look that way. On Sunday, he looked competent. He looked whole. He looked together. I, I thought it was a major win for him, and Tom Kern of NBC Sports Boston agreed. Absolutely. This is what Mac Jones can be. A nice distributor of the football who makes good decisions and can move around the pocket if necessary. Six sacks. A lot of people, you know, with their, oh, I saw this guy was open and he should have gotten out, should have gone over here. Whatever. I didn't see, as Phil said, <laughs> him standing there, patting the ball and getting blasted from behind because he had no pocket presence. He was under siege against behind an offensive line that is not going to get a hell of a lot better. Yeah, I, I, I think I think Sunday was good for Mac Jones. And I don't think it's I don't think it's like degrading to point that out. Right, looking at the hole and saying that this Patriots offense on Sunday was good, that is laughable compared to where the Patriots offenses of the past have been. I admit that. But just looking at Mac, he played well on Sunday, and he deserves the flowers for that. Because for a young player still at the look, man, he's on, you know, hole two or three of his career. There's a lot of ups and downs that happen in an NFL quarterback's career. There's challenges, there's adversity, there's growing pains, and he's going through it, and he's been through it. And to rebound, I thought was awesome the other day. So Mac Jones, I do think, played well. couple of texts, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Steve says, Brady, go out anyways, hang out with the young kids. They can be really fun. I don't want to hang out with the young kids. What I'm gonna I'm gonna go hang out in Saratoga and be that creepy 33 year old in the corner, not talking, not talking to anybody while the 23 year olds get wild and end up, you know, lying in their own vomit. No, I'm good with that. I don't need that. That's not that's not the guy. I don't want to be 33 year old in the corner tapping my foot there by himself. Then what am I gonna do? Hey mom, come pick me up at the bars in Saratoga at 3 a.m. No, I'm good. I'd rather just hang out with the boys and find a townie bar somewhere, but there are not any boys left to hang out with. That's the problem. 
right? Like if I found a townie bar and my four best friends were there, I'd be happier than the clam. But the boys aren't able to do that anymore. This guy's got kids. That guy's got a house. That guy goes to see the in-law. That guy doesn't come home anymore because he lives out of town. That's the issue. Other texter says, Brady, you're not making any sense. Things just change. I came home after 26 years, and it was awesome. Well, then, that's good. It's going to be fine for me, too. It's going to be great for me, right? My brother's home. I don't see him a ton. I'm going to see my mom and dad, see Jess's parents. I'm going to go out with Jess, so I am going to have fun. But the crew of people, that, the other crew of people that I want to see, the non-family crew, a lot harder to see them than it was in the past. Texter says, oh, here we go. Texter says, I'm still trying to decide. Have we decided whether the Patriots were good because of Brady or Belichick, or is it a combo of both? What are we doing? Are we really starting that fire right now? Here's the simple answer. I've said this from the start. They needed each other. I don't, you don't, I, I hope people think that that answer is straddling the fence and not taking a side. It's not straddling the fence. It's just the truth. Bill Belichick was made better by Tom Brady. Tom Brady was made better by Bill Belichick. Flat out. That's it. Right? Bill Belichick got to the playoffs without Tom Brady in Cleveland. He got to the playoffs last year without Tom Brady. He won 11 games with Matt Castle. Bill, Bill Belichick is clearly an excellent coach. On his own. Right? But he also went 7-9 with Cam Newton. And he's also got the team he's got now in the offense he's got now. And he had years in Cleveland where he didn't make the playoffs. And with Drew Bledsoe, he went 5-11. and So he's an excellent coach no matter what. But he's had way more down years without Tom Brady than with him. So Bill Belichick was made better by having Tom Brady. That is undeniable. Tom Brady was the right quarterback for Bill Belichick's attitude, system, and mindset. Bill Belichick could push everybody else because Brady was willing and able to be pushed. Bill Belichick could funnel his message through Tom Brady, who was as disciplined and as driven as Belichick. So Brady absolutely made Belichick better. But Belichick made Brady better too. Right? Tom Brady is a freak in terms of his discipline and his determination. Tom Brady needed a coach like Bill Belichick that would support that, bring that out, and cultivate that. Tom Brady with, with Bruce Arians, guess what, grew tired of it by year two. Tom Brady couldn't have played, couldn't played 20 years for Bruce Arians. Tom Brady couldn't have played 20 years for... He couldn't have played 20 years for any other coach. He needed Bill Belichick's system and discipline in the same way that Belichick needed it from Brady. So they both needed each other. Uh, Tex says, or John and Barry, do you think Brady would have been just as good as if he got drafted by another team? I feel a lot of quarterbacks have very good potential that get ruined by horrible teams. No, I don't think that Tom Brady would have been good. Or, I'm sorry, would have been as good. I mean, look, look at what young quarterbacks go through. Right? Look at what young quarterbacks go through. Baker Mayfield, say what you want about him. He's not going to the Hall of Fame. But, but, Baker Mayfield's had what? Four head coaches and five different play callers or something like that in, in five years of his career, right? Like, Baker Mayfield hasn't had much of a chance. Sam Darnold hasn't had much of a chance. Right? There are guys who are just busts. Like, Zach Wilson might end up just being a bust. But there are guys who just also weren't given a, weren't given a fair shake. 
Tom Brady was able to come in, didn't have to play right away, had a coach who was clearly excellent, had an ownership group that was stable, played in a winnable division for a long time, all that helps. And then he was able to turn his good situation into the best situation in NFL history. Right? Russell Wilson in Seattle, good head coach, Pete Carroll, had a great defense for a while, had a winnable division for a long time. Now he's in a different situation, not as good. Right? Quarterbacks, their situation matters. Matt Ryan won the MVP with Kyle Shanahan at at, uh, offensive coordinator the next year. looked terrible. So your situation does matter. Tom Brady was made better by Bill Belichick. And Bill Belichick was undeniably made better by Tom Brady. Other texter says, Brady, spot on. I'm sick of this discussion. I generally am too. But this texter was a first-time text or close to a first-time text. And it was asked nicely. So I engaged in it. Alan from Waterbury Center. Brady, welcome to adulthood. We've got you, and you'll be fine. Thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate you. Yeah, this whole, the, the adulthood thing, It's I can handle it. But again, I'm going home to my hometown, and the thing I'm most excited about outside of family is playing pickup basketball. It wouldn't have been that way 10 years ago. I promise you. Let's get to who's saying what. Let's hit the right button, though, for who's saying what. Three, two, one. Yes. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Well, they have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEVAM FM and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. If you want an unlimited car wash, just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just to try it out, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. Before I get to the, the cut, I want to just ask this question. How many of you, and I need to know on the text line, how many of you are going to tune in tomorrow? Because we did this on Halloween, and I asked a bunch of people to text in if they were listening. I want to kind of take attendance on who, on how many listeners we're going to have tomorrow. Wednesday before Thanksgiving is a big holiday, right? Like it's the holiday before the holiday. So there's the potential that you're all in the car traveling, and I have the most listeners in the history of the show. There's also a chance that nobody's listening because everybody's entertaining family or whatever, and no one's in their car. So I kind of got to know, I just want to like take a little attendance now, and I'm going to do this tomorrow too. I want to know who's planning on listening tomorrow, because it's going to kind of dictate how I do the show. I got four guests that I'm talking to tomorrow. I don't know how many are going to play on the show. A couple of them are being taped in advance, but I got four people I'm talking to tomorrow. So we have the potential to do a, just a nonstop guest show if we want. I'm not going to do that, but you know, I just kind of want to know who's planning on keeping their usual routine tomorrow because I'm thinking of keeping my usual routine as well. Uh, All right, who's saying what? Kind of on the whole Patriots coaching staff thing. We've talked a lot this season about the Pats' offensive coaching structure, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge, play calling, etc. Well, people all season have been wondering if the Pats are going to keep that same structure next year or if they're going to change it up. 
Here's Albert Breer, the Monday morning quarterback. Well, it's going to be interesting because I do think ownership's taking a wait-and-see approach with this. And if you go back to the owners' meetings in March when Robert Kraft talked about this publicly, he conceded. Like, he heard the criticism, and he understands the criticism. And, like, if he were a fan, he may see things the way that a lot of fans do, which is that this was a weird move and handing the offense over primarily to a guy as a defensive coordinator by trade in Matt Patricia and then obviously a special teams coach in Joe Judge. Also says that, you know, it's going to be their dependency about Bill O'Brien, right? Bill O'Brien at Alabama. And, you know, Bill O'Brien might become available at Alabama. Everybody's been there with Nick Saban for a couple of years. I got to tell you, I am just, I am not interested in this stuff. Breer mentioned Bill O'Brien. He mentioned Nick Cayley, who's currently on the staff. I am not interested in this. I am going to maintain this until I hit my grave. I am not interested in the Patriots' offensive coaching brain trust being a bunch more Bill Belichick disciples. At the end of the day, if you bring in Bill, a Bill Belichick disciple or you bring in a Nick Saban guy like Bill O'Brien who, you know, I mean, look, Saban is Belichick's best friend. They're basically the same person. You're not getting anything new if you do that. If I am the Patriots and I make a change, I want somebody new and young, and innovative. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. Assuming Mac Jones is here next year, he could potentially be on his third play caller in three years, right? Josh McDaniels, Matt Patricia, and somebody else next year. If you're going to bring about that much chaos to a young player, you may as well make it worth it and go for the young, innovative voice in the room. And I don't think that another Belichick retread would be worth that. Right, if you're going to bring in Bill O'Brien, I'd rather just keep in keep Matt Patricia for the sake of familiarity, for the sake of consistency, for the sake of Max development. If you're going to just bring in another Belichick retread, just keep the same Belichick retread that you've got right now. If you're going to create change and you're going to create entropy, and wreak havoc on Max development further, then go get him somebody that can be excellent, somebody that can be his Sean McVay or his Kyle Shanahan or his Shane Waldron. I want the young, hotshot, innovative coordinator, and I want Belichick to trust and empower him, and that to me is going to be the problem. I don't think Bill Belichick will trust or empower anybody. That is why he keeps bringing in his own retreads. Bill Belichick has a small circle. And he doesn't trust a whole lot of people. I think what Albert Breer is saying is more likely, right? I think it's more likely they go to the Bill O'Brien well than it is they go the way that I want to. And that's disappointing to me. Phil says definitely listening tomorrow. Kyle says probably listening tomorrow. That's a good start. That's a good start for sure. So, all right. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The World Cup is going on. I'm going to tell you. While I watched the World Cup, today proved exactly why I will never, ever get into soccer. That's next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Phil Mackey, Score North of Minneapolis. You're going to hear from him in a couple of minutes. Texter says to me, 
Brady, I don't know how many people are going to listen to you tomorrow. Better survey again after hunting season is over. You're telling me people aren't going to listen to this show tomorrow night because they're out hunting? Look, I, those of you who know me know I don't belong anywhere near a gun. I don't belong anywhere near the woods. But from what I thought I knew about hunting, I thought hunting was done in the morning. I thought the best hunting was done in the morning. I had a baseball coach. My college coach at Oswego was a diehard hunter. Like he would take the entire fall off campus and go hunting in Iowa or something like that. And he would come back and tell us that if you were not in your tree stand by 4.30 a.m., Farkas, you've done it wrong. Are you staying in there from 4.30 a.m. until 7 p.m. missing this show? I respect that you're all hunters. That's great. Can't you hunt from 4.30 until noon and then come back and listen to the show? Because, yeah, my coach was such a hunter. He would just be able to uh, – another guy says – Guys are at camps off the grid with no radio and no power. Okay, maybe that's true. Maybe people are out hunting for days on end. But for the guy who just goes into his tree stand before work, I you know I thought that was an early morning thing. But yeah, no, my coach seriously, he would tell us. He he had a story once, and he had this kind of southern accent to him, and he had multiple dislocated fingers. So you can't see this now unless you're watching on the video. But he would. Put his finger up to his face like he really wanted you to listen. Like, come here closer, Farkas. Let me tell you this. And he'd have his hand, and it would be his pinky was dislocated, and his thumb was dislocated. So you'd see his gnarly fingers as he would do this. And he would tell me, Farkas, I saw a guy today. Let's see. No. Oh, because I was out in my tree stand at 4 a.m. I was done by 545. Guy came up to me afterwards and said, he, I was come, I was leaving. He was coming in for his tree stand. Guy said to me, Frank, how were they today? He goes, don't worry, bud. I already got breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Ain't nothing left for you. That's how early my coach was out hunting. So, you know, I thought it was an early morning thing. Bob says it's at dawn and at dusk. Well, dusk now is like uh, 4 o'clock. So you got plenty of time here to uh, get your shots in and then Come listen to the show. So I like what Steve said, though, about maybe people being at camps. That's true. Guys who are out for days on end, making it their whole, you know, enjoying the whole season as opposed to a one-off, that that I can get on board with. Uh, all right, real quick, before Phil Mackey. Texter says, you're way too young like me. Oh, Texter wants me to know that today's the day that JFK was assassinated. That is true. This is a sports show. I Rest in peace. I don't need to really get into that. But yes, 59 years ago today, uh, the news coverage on this station had that all day long. Um, okay. Now back into the topic at hand. Oh, before Phil Mackey, let me tell you this today was a perfect encapsulation of why I can't watch soccer. Now I told you yesterday I watched the world cup. I've been watching it passively. We've had it on in the studio here. I saw bunch of action from a bunch of games the last couple of days. When the flags are involved, I'm interested in athletic competition, right? When it's at the highest level, if it's an international competition, I am watching it. I don't love soccer. I watch the World Cup. I don't, I love Olympic hockey more than the NHL. I don't know if the first thing about swimming and diving. Olympics come on, I'm watching it. World Baseball Classic, I will watch that over a spring training game with the Red Sox or the Mariners 100 times out of 100. When flags are involved and international pride is on the line, 
I'm invested. So I'm watching the World Cup no matter what. But today was everything I can't stand about soccer. It's why I can't get into it. I was watching who? Mexico and Poland. Great game. We played 90-plus minutes, 0-0. Zero offense, period. Don't tell me that that's a good game. That was that that was a that was a close game. I was bored to tears. Bored to tears in a 0-0 hockey game in the playoffs. You've had chances to score and you've had great saves. 0-0 soccer, Mexico and Poland. I went back and looked. The goalkeeper for one side had 3 saves, the goalkeeper for the other had one. The whole game was played in the middle of the field practically. There weren't even scoring chances. 90 minutes, and then you want me to throw on extra time and watch more? 0-0? No, thank you. You all tell me that baseball's boring at 0-0. Oh, Brady, no one can hit, and everybody just stands around, and there's no offense, and there's too many strikeouts. What do you think this is? Everybody's standing around, flopping around like they got shot, taking penalties, taking dives, and nobody gets a scoring chance for 90 minutes plus? You want me to be excited about this? The only reason I'm watching soccer is because the flags are involved. That's it. I need it to be like 5-4 with real scoring chances. France and Australia was a 4-1 game. You'd think I was watching the Big 12. 65-62. That's what that game felt like compared to a Poland and uh, Mexico. The other one, Denmark and Tunisia, also 0-0. 802-585-3026. Just not for me. Bob says it was almost as bad as the Pats and Jets. That's true. I watched the Pats and Jets on Sunday. I don't need more low-scoring affairs. That Pats-Jets game wasn't all that fun. That's what I got in soccer here twice today with 0-0 draws. You people that watch soccer and like it, please tell me what I'm missing. Because the atmosphere is cool. The pageantry is cool. The fans are great. The international competition is great. That's all the stuff I get from the Olympics. I love Olympic-style competition. That's why I'm watching now. But when you ask me why I'm going to forget that soccer exists when the World Cup is over, that is why. Zero, zero. I don't need, like, I've told you this about baseball. I don't need baseball games to be 14-13. But every game being zero, zero ain't fun either. I don't need every basketball game to be 127 to 126. But 83-82 ain't fun either. Every game in soccer feels low scoring practically. Like, no scoring. It doesn't feel low scoring. It feels no scoring. We play 87 minutes to get one shot off, and that one shot goes 84 feet over the net? No. Not not interested. Texter also says, you are spot on. Too many flops. There you go. Brady Farkas show here on DEV, AM and FM and WDEV Radio. George Thomas, our jazz guy, coming up next. He informed me he was a three-year varsity soccer stud. I don't know where, but he was a three-year varsity soccer stud. Now he's probably going to be mad at me and not talking to me again because I ripped his precious baby. But hopefully George is still talking to me uh, when he comes on by the time we switch out studios here at 7. Otherwise, it's going to get pretty awkward. Like If somebody said what I just said about baseball, I, I I'd flip. I wouldn't talk to him ever again. So hopefully George doesn't act like I do and acts a little more mature. Texter says, 
You're killing me. I couldn't agree more word for word. Thank you. It's nice to be agreed with once in a while. Usually you people just tell me that I'm a moron. Nice to be agreed with, though. But yeah, the flags are on the jerseys, so I'm watching. But, I mean, Poland and Mexico. I can't even remember who played I was so bored. Poland and Mexico, Denmark and Tunisia. I was bored to tears. Soccer would be better if the fields were smaller. Yes. That will, yes, that's fair. Soccer would be better because there would be scoring. Why is lacrosse so fun to people? Because the ball moves up and down quickly. The field is still big, but the ball moves so quickly and tons of scoring chances are generated, right? Like lacrosse, we get 13-12 and you get a shot all the time. Soccer, we're just standing around. Let's get back to football. Let's get to football instead of football. Uh, Patriots are taking on the Vikings coming up on Thanksgiving night. And we're going to have the game for you here on DEV. I am friendly with the people over at Score North in Minneapolis. They are the leaders among Vikings coverage there with their podcast Purple Daily and some other things. Phil Mackey is the ringleader of Score Score North. I spoke to him earlier today about the Vikings. The full interview is already up on our podcast channel at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. But he'll play the best of Phil Mackey here. I just started out by asking him this. Phil, what is your perception of the Patriots? Like, from the outside, your perception of the Pats. I'm conflicted there, too, because on one hand, you would say, oh, at least uh, you don't have to worry about that offense lighting the Vikings up for, you know, 31 points. But the Vikings' defense just allowed 40 to a better Cowboys offense, but... Uh, The Vikings defense on the season has given up the third most yards per play of any team in the league. Uh, They are the the definition of bend but don't break. But last week they broke. So this might be a week where the Patriots, if I'm the Patriots offense, I'm saying, all right, finally a defense that's going to let us move the ball up and down the field, make some adjustments off that Jets game. Um, So I think the Patriots offense doesn't doesn't scare me, but the Vikings defense does. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know which way that's going to go. On the other side, this is the thing that would scare me the most looking at film. You know, if I'm the Vikings, the Vikings have struggled with pressure defenses. So the Cowboys are one of the best pressure defenses in the league. Micah Parsons, Um, the Bills and the Commanders, they fell down by double digits in the second half because those teams get pressure on quarterbacks and Cousins is not mobile enough or improvisational enough to just overcome pressure. Well, the Patriots are one of the three best pressure defenses in the entire league. So um, I just, I don't see the Vikings, you know, holding up for three hours and giving Kirk great protection the whole game. They're going to have to find some creative ways to move the pocket or just have quick release passes, probably a short passing game. So there's some things about the Patriots that definitely should scare the Vikings, I guess. What is your impression of Kirk Cousins? And I know that's a loaded question for you because I follow you on social media. But the reason why I ask is because I am not a huge Mac Jones fan. I I acknowledge that he is good, but he's not a guy I want to pay $50 million a year to in a couple of years. And I've said many times, I think his ceiling is Kirk Cousins. And usually that comes off as an insult, but this year Kirk's been fairly good. So what are you seeing in the best version of Kirk Cousins that should get me excited if Mac Jones ever hits it? Well, it, it, it honestly it comes down to I would if if Mac Jones could become Kirk Cousins on a rookie scale contract. Yes, still, of course. Awesome, but the, but then don't pay him forty million dollars a year. Correct. And that's where we're at with Cousins, which is he and he continues to sign these short term deals that don't give you flexibility. 
you know, Patrick Mahomes signs a half billion dollar contract or whatever it is, but it's a ten year deal. And so, you know, people didn't really recognize this if you're unless you're like glued to, you know, over the cap.com or something. But Patrick Mahomes signed that contract a year ago and then immediately they renegot they didn't renegotiate, they restructured and his cap hit was like twenty fifth in the league in two thousand twenty one. So they could go sign a left guard in free agency. Mm-hmm. And with Cousins, he signs these short-term deals. So he's yeah, he's one of the 10 to 15 best quarterbacks in the world. But he's his limitations prevent teams from winning more than traditionally 8, 9, or 10 games in the regular season. They're going to get beyond that point this year because they already have eight wins. But it's one of those crazy sort of you can talk yourself in circles because if you have Cousins as your quarterback, your team is going to be good because he's not he's, he, has, he has such a, a high floor – that you're not going to win five games. You're going to win at least eight games with Cousins as your quarterback. But what's your upside? Is he, at that price tag, too, it prevents you from maybe getting the extra wide receiver weapon in free agency or having cap space to make a trade for someone, right? Um, I just think it's a high-floor, low-ceiling guy. And for the Vikings, the only thing they've yet to do in their franchise's history is win a Super Bowl. And there's major questions over whether he can be that guy while making that much money and depleting the rest of the roster. So, again, this is kind of a prove-it season from that standpoint. This is the best car he has driven, I think, in his career with the best match for head coach. How can they push this thing forward and do some damage in January? Phil Mackey, score north of Minneapolis with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Patriots and Vikings coming up Thanksgiving night. We're going to have the coverage beginning at 5.30. That's right. Here in New England, Phil, we do three-hour Patriots pregame shows. That's what happens when you've won you, six titles. Yeah, do you just, like, replay montages of championships for an hour and a half? Just, all right, now we're going to play uh, highlights from 2003. <laughs> this will be great. We just get on every Patriots insider known to man. That's how it. Uh, that's how it goes. And there's many of them, and self-appointed uh, Patriots experts as well. So, um, look, the Vikings' offense is good, or at least on paper it appears to be good, and it has a lot of great fantasy football type weapons. Patriots' defense has been outstanding. They've allowed 224 yards total in the month of November. Now, it's not murderer's row of competition, but I feel pretty confident in the Patriots' defense. Who should we be looking for the Patriots to take away? on Thursday night? Is it take away Justin Jefferson and let everybody else do everything? Is it shut down Dalvin Cook and force it on Kirk's shoulders? When the Vikings get beaten or when they stumble, what does the defense do? I think they should look to take away Kirk Cousins, not because he's a Patrick Mahomes weapon, but if you can get pressure on Cousins. So last week, the Cowboys, and this is very hard to replicate, um, the Cowboys got pressure on, I think, 65% of pass plays, which is nuts. And Micah Parsons had, Micah Parsons was just living in the backfield the entire game. But if you can get somewhere close to that type of pressure on Kirk Cousins with what's going to be a backup left tackle starting for the Vikings, so that's a huge story. Christian Derrissaw is one of the best left tackles in the league. Back-to-back concussions, he's probably out for a month. Um, if you can make Kirk Cousins skittish and nervous everything else kind of falls into place defensively. I think it's hard to go into a game and say, we're going to take away Justin Jefferson because then TJ Hawkinson's going to be open. Then Adam Thielen's going to be open. And, you know, maybe you'd rather have those guys beat you. Um, the way to shut this offense down is to get to Cousins. every Because he's not able to overcome it to the degree that other quarterbacks like a Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen could. That was part of my talk earlier today with Phil Mackey of Score North in Minneapolis. A ton of good stuff there, especially on the Mac Jones and uh, 
Kirk Cousins comparisons because it is one that I have made a lot. We're going to do more on that tomorrow. We're going to come put a bow on the show. I'll tell you what I want to see from UVM Hoops tonight against Yale. That's coming up next here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to say one of the most cliche things I've ever said right now. Tonight, as UVM takes on Yale, tip off in six minutes, I just want to see UVM play with joy. That's it. I want to see them play with joy and play with energy and play with passion. And I think everything else, at least for one night, will take care of itself from that. Look, let's let's just call a spade a spade. UVM has almost exhausted their ability to get really good wins that would impress the tournament committee. So at this point, they're not much difference between going six and eight in non-conference play, four and ten, two and fourteen. They're not much difference at this point, right? Like outside of beating Miami or winning the Bahamas tournament, there's not a lot that they can do to really impress the tournament committee. So I'm now less concerned with winning games for March's sake. I now just want to see UVM improve and see UVM get better. And a way for them to improve and get better would be to play with joy and play fast and play like they're having fun. And I think if they do that and take the pressure off of themselves, then better results will come today. Right? I want to see Deloney in double figures. I want to see Dylan Penn in double figures. I want to see Finn Sullivan in double figures. I want to see these guys share the ball, get up and down the court, hit shots, have fun, play with swagger. This is a hard matchup. Yale's 5-0. and UVM is 1-4. and Yale's won a championship. They won the Rainbow Classic. They beat Honolulu, or they beat Hawaii, rather, in Honolulu. This is a tough, tough matchup. UVM has a lot to improve if they want to win this game, if they want to win more games in the future. I think they got a chance, though, tonight. If they come out and they play with energy, they play fast, they play with joy, and they get up and down the court. Yale, not a team that typically likes to run a lot. Maybe the UVM can get out and run. Go download the podcast, everybody. Thanks to Phil Mackey. Thanks to uh, Bob Sosi. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Our final show of the week here on WDEV, AM and FM Jazz with George Thomas is next.